Hi, Sam. Hey, Sonia. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. I'm excited to be back on the podcast. Uh, I haven't recorded anything in a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, it's fun. I've been taking over more of like an editor-producer role for as we get ready for the new season. Yeah, I'm excited for the new season. Sam, you're producing. It's myself, hey. Hannah, and Margo on the mic. Like, it's yeah. going to be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn turn those beats up. We are on the mic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, uh, it's a rap podcast now. We just rap all the time. We're big deals in, in the hip-hop community. Yes, exactly. Three white people, four white people. Um, no, so our, our new season, as we've announced, now it's gone out on the feed, and this is another little just announcement, promo kind of episode. We're going to do our, a tie-in here with one of these break times. Uh, the new season we're calling American Girlies. And uh, the premise is, is that three Canadian historians review the American Girl novels and check them out for historical accuracy and value as, you know, an educational tool for children. We're not really reviewing the dolls, but we're really excited about what we're talking about. And it's it's been really fun to get in there. Um, and so this, as I mentioned, is the last of the break times that we're going to put out on the main feed. So as we transition into our... Uh, new season this american girlies adventure in american history uh we are taking these break times these shorter episodes and we're going to throw them on patreon and they're not going anywhere but if you're still interested in sort of more of the folklore stuff more of the sort of world history stuff instead of just really focused on america that's still going to be happening we're just going to put it behind a very low paywall and uh we're excited to have people come check that out if you're interested patreon.com forward slash the babiaki project there we go check us out there it supports the pod we've got some cool merch on there we've got weekly recommendations but now it's time to get into our break time which is in the spirit of the new american girlies podcast feed it's going to be all about the history of dolls because i found some quite interesting little tidbits and a nice little narrative about how how american dolls kind of american girl dolls come to be Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in the in the American Girlies episodes right now, we we haven't really been talking about the dolls themselves. We've been talking about these novels and these characters of the dolls. Like it's this whole multimedia tied-in thing where you read the books and you buy the dolls and you buy the clothes for the dolls, what you see in the books, and right, like it's this whole whole world. Does that have like a history? Does that have precedent? Yeah, uh, to an extent. Cool. So the earliest I could find of something that would be sort of analogous to these dolls mm -hmm. are fashion dolls that were also called Pandora dolls. Cool. And they date from as early as the 16th century and were super common throughout the courts of Europe. Mm -hmm. So they were typically wooden painted dolls and they would be dressed in all the latest fashions and were typically owned by elite women, right? So aristocrats noble women but like adult women hey yes yes That's so this is the thing is that they're for adult women because the whole idea is that these are dolls that are going to showcase the latest fashion cool so what they would do is actually send them as diplomatic gifts or they would have them as sort of favors that you would exchange with other high-ranking women so um for example, Mary, Queen of Scots, had this big collection of dolls that were dressed by her seamstresses and tailors so that they would have this like sort of visual aid of what all the fashions were and what people are wearing. 
And they were a really useful way to kind of keep up with the current trends because the doll clothes are made out of the same fabric as real clothes. They're using the same laces and Mm -hmm. silks and all that sort of thing. So the recipients of these dolls could not just see what the fashion looked like as they could in a drawing, but they could actually feel the fabric and go, okay, this is what the brocade is supposed to be like, or this is the exact type of lace that people are wearing. Yeah, and that's so much better than just an illustration, right? Like, Yeah, or a description, right? Mm -hmm. It also does away with any kind of language barrier, right? So you don't have an illustration that's describing the fabric or describing the shape of things. It's just here is a miniaturized version of what people are wearing and what you should be wearing. Right. And by the early 18th century, these dolls actually stopped being just for the elite and you start seeing them being used more commercially, right? By seamstresses, by tailors, milliners, merchants, where they would then get their own dolls made up. They would display them in the shop window, or they Mm -hmm. could send them to clients abroad to say, hey, this is the latest trend from, you know, London or Paris or Milan. And then people could put in their orders or, you know, contact them for, you know, different types of fabric, different sure. types of hat styles, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, and this wasn't just being made in one center, right? It wasn't just like Paris dominating the fashion center. There were like different centers would make different styles and these would move around and it was... Yeah, exactly. So it was cool. sort of this cross exchange all over. And these were also being shipped, of course, to America and to... Other colonies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quote unquote, new world is receiving these, which allows them to also keep up with relatively current fashion trends, right? Because, of course, it takes time to ship these dolls. But then we see that they start to fall out of popularity in the kind of late 18th, early 19th centuries. Mm -hmm. As you see the rise of fashion magazines, it becomes cheaper and easier. Mm -hmm. And it's just way more accessible to print out a bunch of fashion magazines. And that's what people are using to stay on trend. But this doesn't stop the doll manufacturers because they still want to be able to sell these. So they turn to the children's market, actually, because this is also the time, right, where like mid 19th century people are rethinking ideas about childhood, right? Especially if you're middle or upper class, we're going from it's going into this whole idea of childhood is supposed to be this idyllic time and You know, it's for play and for them to explore their imaginations. That's that's beginning to happen. And and this is also tied up with industrialization and like I mean, this is this is stuff that we all learned in high school, I feel like. It's like child labor laws and like the middle class social improvement movements being like, Okay, we're gonna take this values and this new idea of innocence of childhood and we're gonna take this onto the working poor and then well all over the place, right? Exactly. Yeah. And we see this especially with the porcelain or bisque dolls. And these are dolls that are made with ceramic faces and they often have real hair that you could, you know, braid and play with and put into different styles. Yeah. And these in particular were marketed to girls from kind of middle to upper class families. The dolls are still being made to represent adult women Mm -hmm. and they're wearing still the latest fashions. So the idea is, okay, the real adult women in the world are no longer buying dolls to keep up with fashions though we can take these dolls and sell them to kids so that they can play with the dolls and learn how to be an upper class middle class girl right yeah and it's especially right that it's made of porcelain 
right? So you have to be gentle with it. You can't throw it around. It's not a rag doll. It's not a wooden doll. It's this like teaching girls to be dainty and also to care about how you do your hair, how you dress your doll, how you dress yourself. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, like, again, this is still sort of mid to late 19th century. We're seeing that there suddenly is on the scene these porcelain dolls that look like children. Mm-hmm. And then these were sort of seen as like doubly beneficial because you're they're still being dressed in the latest fashion. So it's still teaching girls to present themselves a certain way, to fit into this certain social role. But having the dolls be children allows for the girls to kind of practice being mothers in right. the future, right? Yeah, the idea is you're going to take care of your doll as if she's your baby. And then you're learning how to like fit into this social role that you're going to have as an adult. And the childlike doll trend really continues for a good long time, well into the 20th century. Um, So for example, by the 1920s, about 80% of dolls sold in the U.S. were baby dolls. Mm -hmm. So at this point, we've sort of seen this big move away from adult fashion dolls and towards here's a doll that you're going to take care of and practice being a mom and like practice taking care of something. Yeah. But what then we do see a swing back towards adult fashion dolls or dolls that look like adults that are wearing the latest fashions in 1959 with the introduction of Barbie, who was just immediate success flying yeah. off the shelves. I was wondering if we're going to get to Barbie. Yep. Yeah. Which there was controversy around at the time because it was seen as like, oh, this is too sexual. This is too you know, focused on fashion. It's too focused on, you know, pretending to be a fashion model, right? Because that's what she's Mm -hmm. supposed to be right in the Barbie lore. But I mean, that didn't stop people from buying these because turns out it's actually really fun to dress up a doll and fix her hair and do all that. Yeah. So they basically got two extremes by the sort of mid 20th century where you're either getting Barbie or Barbie knockoffs, where you're pretending to play being an adult woman and wearing adult clothes, or you have baby or like childlike, like young child dolls right. that yeah. you're you're playing as pretending to be mom. And this is how we come to American Girl. So by the 1980s, American Girl was created to be a childlike doll. So she wasn't supposed to be a baby or sort of toddler doll. And she wasn't supposed to be an adult woman. Just kind of splitting the difference, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F- filling that ecological exactly. niche. Yeah, yeah. However, I do think that there's still a lot of parallels with these dolls and the way that they're presented and marketed and the way that we're seeing these fashion dolls and later like children's toys dolls. Yeah. Right? Because in the same way that in the 19th century and into the 20th century, the dolls were sort of teaching tools, we're also seeing that with American girl dolls right they're a didactic product the point is both to teach history but also these dolls and the kind of stories around them are supposed to be role models right they're supposed to teach you how to be a good american girl yeah but also similar to the fashion dolls that we see in the 17th and 18th centuries a big point of these dolls is a marketing tool right you buy the doll itself but then you also have to buy the tie-in books and the other doll clothes and the accessories. And they even made life-size versions of the stuff that the dolls were wearing that girls' families could then buy for them. So then you can match the doll in the same way that you would match 
your clothing to the fashion dolls in the 17th and 18th centuries. Brilliant. And I just think it's really fascinating that American girl dolls sort of took these things and meshed them all together into, you know, a teaching tool slash fashion tool slash marketing agency. That is that is super, super fascinating. And I like I'm fascinated by the way that like it's come full circle and now we're kind of doing both. Yeah. So I, I also did a little bit of research. Uh, I mean, I, I was like, okay, so how does this work in ancient Greece, which is like my area that I, I study and I specialize in. And I found a really fascinating paper from 1930. So it's a, it's a bulletin of the Ooh. Archaeological Institute of America. I'm just going to read you the first line. So again, this is 1930. That children learn by imitation was as true an antiquity as it is today. So it's exactly this ideology that you're talking about. Perfect. Of like, yeah, we're going to have to give these baby dolls to these kids so that they can learn, right? And and yeah. like, you know, these baby dolls that, again, split the difference, but teach these two different kinds of femininity where you have to be pretty and you have to be a mom. Exactly. Right? And that's like, those are your two roles. Those are your only jobs. Those are the only options. You have to yeah. do both of those things. And those are the things that you have to do, right? Yeah. And, and so... I think it's really interesting. This is like, I think the best resource that I can find on dolls in ancient Greece. And it's reproducing this ideology of exactly what you're talking about of like what dolls are for as, as these teaching tools for a certain kind of femininity. We have some really beautiful dolls from ancient Egypt, like really, really beautiful that actually kind of look like Barbies with the long, long legs huh. and like the rigid body and um with the segmented arms oh wow which i think is really interesting where you would have little bronze uh clips that would hold the bits of ivory for the segmented arms huh. which was super interesting uh we've, we, there's one ivory doll that they mentioned in in this piece that still has the dangling bronze earrings in her ear holes oh, that's and crazy. also what is missing is that there had been some sort of inlay for nipples <laughs> and those have fallen out the holes are still there but oh, something has fallen out so I don't know what those were supposed to be, but, but yeah, yeah. So like this, uh, hyper feminine kind of sexualized, right. That there is like a divine vulva carved into the ivory as well. Yeah. Um, but buried in a child's grave. And oh. so, uh, really interesting sort of archeological stuff here about, well, what is uh, sort of ritual figurine? Because we have those, and this guy in the 1930s is very confidently saying, okay, well, these segmented dolls that you find in uh, graves with a child's body, those are dolls. And those are playthings for teaching children based on this ideology that I have from being in 1930. Right. And then there are these quote-unquote idols which aren't segmented, and maybe children would also have access to them, but they're also found in adult graves. And I mean, I huh. think probably that distinction between child and adult, that makes sense to me. And also probably segmented and not segmented. That makes sense to me as well. Yeah. Um, as like a, a doll versus figurine kind of idea. But the thing that I really actually wanted to talk about is in the mid 19th century, some farmers in Greece in a, near a town called Tanagra, north of Athens, like just, just north of Athens, mm-hmm. they were plowing their field and they came across some tombs some ancient Greek tombs that were full of these small, so a couple centimeters tall figurines. And then 
so in these came to be called Tanagra figurines, and they're hyper detailed. So they're figures mostly of women, sometimes of men, uh, mostly clothed, sometimes nude, but doing all sorts of activities and highly, highly decorated. So painted and with all sorts of crazy detail, not like the big nude uh, marble statues that we, we understand from ancient Greece, where you're right. like one person striking one pose. You know, these are like flowing, flowing, flowing cloth and like crazy hats huh. and painted on all sorts of crazy colors. And it's like, women playing dice together women doing all sorts of domestic tasks uh like all sorts of activities in all sorts of costumes and these uh tanagra figurines have been found in a lot of different places but are named after the place where they were originally found right and we think were manufactured over a wide area over a long period of time and they're super interesting because of exactly the stuff they were just talking about they're one of the best ways that we have of reproducing ancient greek clothing because oh, yeah, it, we have some literary references, but um, we don't have a ton of painting left from that period. And then the big monumental statues that we have are often nude or don't accurately represent uh, like all of the details of women's like actual everyday dress. Right. We don't think that these were like playthings for children. We think that they had some sort of religious function as like grave goods. These are things that to be that these people would be buried with, but they were things that we'd be buried with as they because they would reflect actually how that he survived and super super interesting and i know that when they were discovered they were really popular they were imitated like all sorts of workshops all sort of all across europe were like making imitations of these huh. sometimes like just straight up copying sometimes taking the inspiration and doing like their own scenes that they thought might be like appropriate for these sorts of figurines right and i also know that like there's tons of literary references. Oscar Wilde compares fashionable women to Tanagra figurines in several different places. Uh, that it, they become a kind of these interesting cultural touchstones. And I, I just think there's there's some interesting parallels between these ancient dolls with these modern ideology transposed onto it, but also of these figurines that aren't exactly the same but still tell us something about how people behaved how people dressed and how femininity was created and constructed well that's super fascinating and i think it does yeah. kind of open up these bigger questions of you know what are the ways that these dolls or figurines are being used in different historical eras in different places yeah. because it does seem like there's often multiple functions for the same object right like it can show you what fashions yeah. people are wearing but it can also be a plaything, or it, they could be yeah. decorative right there's all kinds yeah. of and as as you said they could be religious or ritual in nature so yeah. there is this really long history of people making tiny little replicas of human beings yeah. and then using them for other stuff and i also love that this is a way that we can connect some of the older baba yaga work that we've been doing to this new american girlies project that we're kind of stepping out of our our ritual way of thinking and into kind of this more pop culture thing but like that there is a deep history for these things and it connects through multiple different stages of our lives and multiple different um kinds of social function right yeah i don't know i think it's really cool anyway thanks for taking a break with us guys again we are all over social media at the babariaga project and also on patreon if you want to keep hearing these break times we are um patreon.com forward slash babiaga project without the va just babiaga project and we're looking forward to having you over there and we're looking forward to introducing these american girls to you as well through our american girlies project thanks for taking a break yeah. with me sam thanks and for taking a break we'll see you all next time
Bye.